Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. we're going to be looking at the whole of Ephesians 3. Not quite sure how that happened that I get this task, but um, we're going to do a whistle-stop tour through like the first half before spending most of the time in the second half. Does that sound okay to everybody? Is that okay for you at Westside? Okay for you at Battersea? Great. Um, So let's start with verses 1 to 13. Um, if you, I think we'll have the verses coming up, but if you have a Bible, it'd be great for you to turn to that as well. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written about br- briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus." I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory, which are your glory. So that's the first half. We're going to come to the second half a bit later. But do you see that in the middle of that very, very first sentence, if we can go back to verse 1, it says, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then there's a dash right in the middle of the sentence. He just breaks off and he goes into a digression. Literally, he goes off on a tangent and he doesn't come out of it until verse 13. And then he gets back to his subject in verse 14. And this really is like a a thought, a sudden thought that he's had, a kind of a ramble. So why does Paul break off? He's pointing out to them. He's saying that I'm writing from prison. And he wants to reassure them not to be discouraged because of his sufferings. You see, Paul knew that his being in prison was a huge discouragement to his friends. And so right in the middle of the sentence... He kind of breaks off, he addresses it, and he tries to engage them and tries to help them. No, this is no, like, shock announcement, but life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. And it's not just hard for bad people. It's hard for the best people. Great people suffer as well. Huge disappointments, huge tragedies. 
And the Bible consistently shows that. It never glosses over that. And Paul wants to address this as well. So in verse 13, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. And this word, it's a word that means disheartened. It's like the heart has been taken out of you. And he's saying you get bitter. You can get numb with the reality of suffering. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to do that. He's trying to help them because he knows that life is hard. And we need help to deal with the painful realities of life, don't we? And not get bitter. And so all of verses 1 to 13 are Paul's help for them. So what is that help, I hear you ask? Very good. Am I hearing that from Battersea as well? Very good. Let's keep going. So one word that comes up the most in this whole passage is the word mystery. Paul says it's his job to proclaim a mystery. So what does that word mystery mean? If you, if you're, if you and I think of a mystery, I imagine you're thinking of something that's hidden from you that it's your job to discover. You might watch a murder and mystery film and just work out who done it. But the Greek word, especially as Paul means it, means exactly the opposite. It doesn't mean something hidden that you would have to discover. It means something revealed by God because you would never actually discover it. Because it's so counterintuitive because you would never come to the conclusion of it by logical reasoning. So in other words, a mystery is an astonishing counterintuitive revelation, something revealed to you that's astounding, that goes completely against anything that you would have guessed. And so what is this mystery, I hear you ask? Very good, Westside. Um, whenever Paul uses this word, it has something often to do with the gospel. It's often to do with another word that comes up over and over again, and that is his grace. This mystery, the gospel, God's gospel of grace. Your salvation, my salvation, the Gentile salvation by grace is this mystery. It doesn't make logical sense. We are saved by sheer grace. No matter how bad we were, where we've come from, what we've done, it doesn't matter as soon as we believe in Jesus. You are completely accepted by God. And the more you look into it, it's, it's mystery. It's so counterintuitive, isn't it? This grace. And so God's grace puts suffering into perspective. Paul is willing to be in prison because he wants to share the mystery of God's grace to the Gentiles. It's, it's that precious. It's that worth it. It's worth him being in prison, this grace. It then says in verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom, and this word manifold was a word that means brilliant, this brilliant wisdom of God, this brilliant gospel, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. Now this is kind of awesome, isn't it? But here's what he's saying. He's saying it's the community. It's not one individual. It's through the Christian community. It's through healed relationship. It's through communities like ours here at V61 that the world will most readily see the, the incredible future that God is preparing for everyone. There's um, uh, a great biblical scholar from the last century, F.F. F. Bruce, and he says this about this verse. 
The church here appears as God's pilot plant for the reconciled universe of the future. The church is to be a new society where the world can see what family life, what business practices, what race relationships, what all of life will be under the healing kingship of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? Would you think about that for a minute? We are God's pilot plant for the reconciled universe of the future. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's pilot. We are God's pilot plant for the reconciled universe of the future. (laughs) And it's the church that shows people a taste of what that's going to be. The manifold wisdom of the future can now be seen in the church in the way that no individual person can exhibit to the, to the world. And then not just to the world, but he says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms as well. What an incredible, beautiful and precious thing the church is. Okay, that was a whistle-stop tour through verses 1 to 14. 1 to 13. So sorry it was so short, but please dive into this deeper in your own times with God. There's so much just in this, in those first verses as well as this next um, chunk. So let's carry on with where Paul started off before his little digression. Let's pick up again in verse 14. I uh, probably, I think these are probably some of my most favorite verses in the whole of scripture. They're definitely in my top three. Um, and I, I've been living in these verses for the, for the past six months now and just praying them over myself, praying them over the church. Um, so not to hype this up or anything, but these verses are amazing. So um, are you ready? Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ." And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a passage. It is just uh, literally some of the best verses in the whole of scripture. It's so powerful. I came across an interview uh, the other week between James Corden and Cardi B. Um, it was a carpool karaoke episode. Peter Cox at Westside or Janine. Anyone, do you know who Cardi B is? Well, obviously, she is a singer, songwriter, and rapper. Now you know. Incredibly successful, but you never thought we'd be talking about Cardi B at church. Anyway, James Corden was asking her all about all of the cars that she owns, the cars that she has in her garage. She apparently at that time had a Lamborghini, a Lamborghini truck, a Maybach, a Chevy Suburban, and a Bentley truck. I've no idea why one person would ever need that amount of cars, but she's obviously got plenty of money. 
and she's collected all these luxurious and exotic vehicles in her garage. But here's the thing. She doesn't know how to drive. I know, right? Literally, she doesn't know how to drive these amazing cars. But she's got all of these powerful, fancy, fancy cars in her garage. And so James Corden asks, you know, why do you own all these cars if you don't drive? And she's like, because I want to take pictures with them. And so he's like, well, you could go to the showroom and take pictures with them. And she's like, no, I just feel more authentic rapping about these cars if I actually own them and take pictures with them. Fair enough. Um, I think it's fascinating that she possessed something that she has yet to experience. And it's possible for you and I to have something that we have actually yet to experience. She's got all these amazing, incredible cars, but she's never felt the power of those engines as she's put her foot on the throttle. The, the, you know, the horsepower, the feeling that you get as you drive a car. She possesses something that she has yet to experience. And sometimes in our walk with Jesus, it can be the same way. You know, we can possess Christ, we can be saved. And all of the amazing things that Paul has talked about in the, in the book of, so far in Ephesians, but it's possible to have a faith, to believe in Jesus and not experience his power or his love or his grace. And I know for me, there are moments in my life when I can spiritually coast. I have Christ in me, but am I walking in the power of his spirit? Am I walking and sensing his power and his grace in my life? There are definitely times when I just coast. And maybe for you, being saved has become a bit of a destination you might think, you know, I'm going to heaven and until then, you know, I've got everything I'm ne I need, I'm good. You've ticked the box, maybe you even went to a good conference, you might have even got the merch. You know, you can coast till next year, take your foot off the pedal, see what I did there, um, and just relax. But I think especially in London, God can just become a bit of an add-on to our lives and not at the very centre of our lives. There are so many things taking our time and attention, so many distractions. And Paul here begins to pray for the Christians in Ephesus because he's concerned. And he's concerned that they're saved and satisfied. Not satisfied as in Christ is all we need, but satisfied as in Christ has nothing more for us. Satisfied as in we've ticked the box, we're okay but they actually might miss out and never realize all the incredible possibilities and opportunities of what it means to walk with the living God. And so he's beginning to pray for them, that they would experience all of the blessings for themselves in Jesus. They wouldn't just possess them, but they would actually experience them in their daily life. And so Paul begins to pray in Ephesians 3 verse 14. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I'm so burdened that I'm kneeling before the Father in prayer. And he begins to pray. He falls to his knees before the Father. And it was customary at that time for Jews to stand in prayer. You know, you still see it at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. They stand to pray. But in Scripture, on a few occasions, there, there are people that are moved with such a burden that they fall to their knees. And this is what, ha what, what happens to Paul. He's praying that they don't miss out on experiencing everything that God has for them. And so he's moved to pray on his knees. 
Paul has spent the first three chapters so far giving us instructions, instructions of who we are in Christ, what God has done, incredible, eternal truths of election and redemption and forgiveness. And the mystery of God revealed to the Apostle Paul. He's given us a lot of instruction, but here in this moment, he moves from instruction to intercession. He begins to pray because these truths of God must not just be contained in instruction, they must also be experienced. You know, you know, instructions is, is good, sermons are good, theology is good, commentaries are good, but it's not enough on its own. We must take all that we know in our heads of the truth of God and pray that it goes from the 18 inches from here to our hearts. And he prays here that it would grip our souls, these incredible truths of God's love and his grace and his power would grip us. Now, remember, he's in prison in Rome, and I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, do you know what I would be praying? <laughs> Lord, help me get out of this prison. You know, you open the prison door for Peter, you've done it once, you can do it again. Can you do that for me? But no, he also doesn't pray some generic blessing over the Ephesian church. You know, Lord, help my fellow saints in Ephesus be safe and comfortable. He doesn't pray that either. This particular prayer of Paul for them and for us is that they may be strengthened with power. Basically, that the might of God would empower them. And this comes not as a result of their own determination, but it's from something outside of them that comes into them. Through the power of his spirit in their inner being. So from God into them, the spirit of God to give them power. And I think Paul's praying it because they need it. Their inner being will be strengthened with the power of God. This is how we build resilience. We were never meant to do the Christian life in our own strength. You know, we bring all that we have and we do our very best and we bring our very best, we give our very best, but it will never be enough. And that's why to live the Christian life, to be the people that God has called us to be, to do the things that God has called us to do, to say the things that he's called us to say, we need his power. We need God's power. His agency, the divine, that comes from the spirit of God filling us, empowering us, motivating us, gifting us. I need the power of God. And so did those Ephesians. So there's a need for power, but then there's, a, there's an availability of power as well. Paul doesn't pray thinking his prayers are just falling on deaf ears. Paul doesn't pray thinking there's nothing to meet the prayer requests, that God hasn't got what's required. On the contrary, he says this, out of his glorious strength, uh, sorry, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. God's glorious riches, that's where it's coming from. What abundance, his glorious riches that give us power. And he's praying in particular that the spirit of God would be sent to empower, not just as us as individuals, but the church. We need his power as V61. I, I do not want to be part of a church that just goes through the motions. Not interested I want this church to be one full of the power of God, full of individuals full of the power of God. And then he moves from a prayer for power to a prayer for love. 
He says in verse 17, and I pray that you would be rooted and established in love, in God's love. And Paul is praying that we would, we would be able to grasp, to lay hold of, not just understand, it's not just intellectual. It's grasping, it's holding, it's owning. It's a knowing of how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ. Why does he use these kind of measuring terms, height and length and depth? I hear you ask. <laughs> Very good. Well, one idea that scholars talk about is because in Ephesus, there was a building that was a temple to Artemis, who was the daughter of Zeus. And this was the largest building in the Greek world at that time. It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I think we should have a photo. It took um, 200 years to build. It was all marble. It was 150 meters long. 55 meters wide, it had, a, it had 127 marble columns, 18 meters high, and there were giant gold and silver friezes all the way along the length. And it was absolutely dazzling when the sun shone on it and caught the golden veins of the marble. And it was a temple devoted to the God of love. And from a distance, the ships would come into Ephesus and people would see it and literally their mouths would drop open in awe at the sight of this great temple. The height and depth and length and breadth of this temple of love was completely mind-blowing. There are some remains still there today and we went to visit it in Ephesus a few years ago. I think you can just about make out me and uh, Abby and Sam, our kids, standing by one of the columns. But you can at least see how high it must have been. And Paul is picking up on this imagery. Here they are in Ephesus, the city most fa famous for this giant temple to the God of love. And so Paul says, I want you to know the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowing, that's beyond wonder, the seven wonders of the world. This was one of these buildings, this temple. But the greatest wonder in the world is the love of God. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. Absolutely extraordinary. The love of God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul wants for them. And this is what's, what Paul is praying for them and for us. This is the being of God poured out through a person, revealed at the cross, the object of which is you and me. God loves us. And God wants us to know it and experience that love with all the saints and to grasp it, to hold it, to seize it, to never let go. There is nowhere in the universe that his love does not reach, to which it's not directed. Then there's nowhere in your life, nowhere in your experiences, nowhere in the wrongs that you've done, nowhere in the darkness that at times you might find yourself in, nowhere and no one that's outside the reach of God's love. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. I'm not going to sing it.
wherever you are, whoever you are, maybe you feel that somehow you've stepped outside or you've fallen outside of God's love. Well, this is the day, this is the moment when you need to say, God, fill me with your love. I need to know that love today. And you see, when Paul prays this for them, he sees their need. God, when God inspired Paul to write this letter, this, this prayer of his, he saw our need at that time as well. Um, being in pastoral ministry for a number of years now, I, I think that the greatest problem in the church is that, that us as followers of Jesus don't know how much we're loved. It holds us up and it holds us back. It leads to all sorts of trouble. It robs us of peace. It drives us to performance. And we exhibit all sorts of behavior because we don't know how loved we are. If only we knew, if only we could understand just how much he loves us. I just had a fresh revelation of how much he loves me the other, the other week listening to, to David Bennett talk. And it just wrecked me afresh. He loves me. This is 101 of the Christian life, and yet you can go your whole Christian life and never learn these things, never experience God's love. Just leave it sitting in your garage. He loves you. And I, I, want, I almost want you to point a finger at yourself right now and say, he loves me. And I'm talking about you, Janice, at Westside. He loves you. I'm talking about you, Alice, at Battersea. He loves you. Just even right now, just point to each other and go, he loves you. Let that sink in. And Paul carries on this little prayer for them to know love, but by asking that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God doesn't dispense his love with a pipette. He isn't the pipette God who just sends a little bit to us. The fullness of God in us. It's not, it's not a love in the sort of sense of an energy that comes from God. No, it's God himself filling us with himself and his love. He wants your whole being to be overwhelmed with his love. And so that the challenge of the question for us is how much of God's love is in you? What are you settling for? How much do you know, understand, experience his love? Why don't you just ask God today, fill me with your love. Fill me with a measure of all the fullness of God. What an incredible thing to pray for. And it's not love just given in a pragmatic way so that you can do something for him. It's simply that he wants you to be filled with his love. He wants to occupy all of you, the barren places in you, the wilderness places in you, the shadow places in you, the no-go area places in you. Filled with all of him. Let him fill you with his love. Just underline these verses in your Bible. Filled, measure, fullness. Pray this prayer for yourselves and your friends and your family in this church. Pray this prayer every day and see what happens. Honestly, I guarantee it will change your life. As we land, I'm going to invite the bands up at Westside and Battersea and here.
Um, so often after having given us a prayer or having given us statements and propositions, Paul can't help but end in worship. Paul says in verse 20 of chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God, God wants this more than we do. God actually wants this immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Worship is the only response. When we understand who we are and who God is, what he's done for us, when we've had a revelation of God's love, when we've experienced his power from the Holy Spirit, when we've been witnesses to his mystery of grace revealed in Jesus in the church, we can't help but worship him. We can't help but devote our lives to him, to honor him, to praise him, to give him worth because he is worthy. So we're going to worship him together and, and just ask for a fresh revelation. This is God that does this for us. A fresh revelation of his love and his power again today. Why don't you stand and I'm going to pray this prayer over us today. Get ready to receive. Just op maybe open your hands in a posture of receiving. And I really believe that God wants to impart something today to give you a fresh revelation of how loved you are. So I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.